Welcome to Victory, a place to call home. We're here to help people find and follow Jesus, and we are so glad that you are listening. The Apostle Paul has uh, had an encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9. He's on the road to Damascus persecuting Christians, arresting those who were of, the scripture says, of the way, the way, the truth, and the life, the followers of Jesus. And um, he's hunting them down, he's persecuting them, he's putting them in prison because he is zealous for the Jewish faith. He's a Jew of Jews, he's uh, been raised in the Jewish faith and culture, and um, he is persecuting the followers of Jesus. And all of a sudden, as he is heading to Damascus, he's on his horse and he sees a bright light. He hears a voice. It's Jesus. He's saying, Saul, Saul, because that was his name in that moment at that time. Why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He says, I want you to go into Damascus and then, because he was blind, and he said, then I'm going to send somebody to tell you what you ought to do. The Apostle Paul is recounting this experience with Jesus in Acts chapter 22, verse 21. He's giving testimony about this encounter that he had with Jesus, and he says these words. Chapter 22, verse 21. And the Lord said to me, go, and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I want to preach for a few minutes along these lines when God says, go. Would you join with me and bow your heads and your hearts in submission to the Lord this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word today and for the opportunity that we have to gather around it together and hear what you would have to say to our lives. Lord, we don't just come into this moment casually, Lord, but we come expectantly. Lord, we enter into this moment and we're about to receive the word of God to our lives. Lord, help us, Lord, to be able to hear it, to be able to evaluate where we are in relation to what you expect of us. And Lord, give us the courage Lord, to leave out of this place different as a result of the choice that we're going to make to say yes to you, to live the way that you desire for us to live. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we have another helper, the Holy Spirit, that makes the word of God come alive. Holy Spirit, come in this moment, Lord, right now, and Lord, enable and empower me to be able to share what you've given me and also for the hearers in this room and online throughout the week, Lord, that they would be able to hear your word, to know what you want them to do, and they would be able to apply it to their life. Father, we thank you for these things and we pray them, Lord, today in the name of Jesus. Amen. One thing that I know about you and about me is that you and I... (laughs) We love certainty. Like, we, know, we want to know what we can expect. And when we have our expectations in place, we want to be certain that things go according to plan. Can I get a witness? 
Like, I don't want any surprises. I don't want any certainty, uh, uncertainty. I want to be certain that uh, what I expect is going to happen. And so um, we live in this world, though, of uncertainty. We want certainty, but we live in a world of uncertainty. Now, to be certain means this, to be sure, to be definite, to be fixed, to be proven, to be true, inevitable, settled, incapable of failing. That is what I like. That's what I like. And certainty and faith, they go hand in hand. You see, the more certain you are, the more faith that you have, and the more your faith is built upon the certainty that you gain. However, the opposite of the spectrum, on the opposite side, lies uncertainty. (laughs) And with uncertainty comes fear. So certainty, faith, uncertainty, fear. And uncertainty works hand in hand with fear. More uncertainty, more fear. Uncertainty and fear go hand in hand. This is what this means today as I'm setting up this message. You see, because when God says for us to go, to be a witness, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A witness, remember, is someone who testifies the truth in a court of law of what they have seen, heard, and experienced. And so if you have seen the Lord move in your life. If you have heard his voice, if he is speaking to you, and if you have experienced his power, his presence, his goodness in your life, then you ought to be, you are required to be, you are mandated to be, you are commissioned to be a witness of what you've seen, heard, and experienced. It's not optional, it's not suggested. But it's mandated. Uh, It's not the great suggestion. It's called the great commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And yes, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And Jesus said, you will have the help of the Holy Spirit to be a witness. But when we go out and we become a witness for Jesus, we then face a lot of uncertainties. Because we are dealing with people, and people are very unpredictable. And situations can be very unpredictable. And things do not always go according to schedule, according to my checklist, according to uh, what I want to happen. Oftentimes, things go off script. (laughs) In the world of theater, right, if you're in the world of theater, What you get is you get a script, and you get to rehearse that script, and you memorize that script, and the time comes in theater where you stand before a crowd, and you're able to put on a performance. Not so much with being a witness. You see, because when you are a witness for Jesus, you have to go off script. In other words, you have to go improv. Improv is when you don't have a script, you're just up here with other people acting out the part, and 
You feed off of one another. You interact with one another, not knowing what they're going to say, not knowing how the audience is going to respond. There is a lot of uncertainty. And with uncertainty comes fear. And with witnessing, being a witness for Jesus comes apprehension because there's this uncertainty that you do not know how people are going to respond to the message or to what you're sharing with them. But in the same way that we are to be witnesses for Jesus, we have to trust that, our, that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is helping us to be a witness as we step out in faith and in certainty of what God says. In our time together to, today, I want to share the truth of being a witness, share this truth of being a witness, and we're going to also uh, direct your attention to um, a passage in Acts chapter 16. In just a moment, we're going to begin reading at verse 16. So if you want to turn there, that's good. But in this um, moment right now, I want to share with you this truth, this principle uh, from the scripture today, and it's this. In uncertain circumstances, a witness is certain in what God has said. <laughs> Why? Because you're going to be confronted with uncertain circumstances, but there is something that you can be certain of is that if God said it, that he will do it. He, you can be certain that if God asked you to go, he instructed you to go, he expects you to go, and when you're confronted with uncertain circumstances and the future is uncertain, the results of how it's going to play out are very uncertain and it brings you fear, you can be certain that when you step out in faith and do what God says, you can be certain of his presence and you can be certain of what he said. Okay. In Acts chapter 16... This passage records the witness of a man named Paul, the apostle. I told you about him earlier. He's with his uh, friends. They are missionaries. They are witnesses going out into the known world, into the Roman Empire. They start off in Jerusalem. They go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And Paul is, is given this instruction that I read to you earlier. The Lord said to him, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Sounds like a lot of uncertainty there. Doesn't sound very descriptive, doesn't talk about like where you're going, how you're going to get there, who's going to be there, what the details are, and we like the details, but to be a witness for Jesus is to step out in a world of uncertainty. And the Apostle Paul does this. He's got Silas He's got Timothy and Luke in this second missionary journey. And in their efforts to reach the lost, they come to a city named Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony. It's a colony of Rome. And so Rome, the, the emperor, is ruling the world of that day. And it's a very tough society. It's a very hard society. It's a, very, a, a society that, that is very uncertain if you are going to be going about uh, sharing faith in Jesus. In this passage of scripture, we find in the beginning of it that Paul uh, comes along uh, and he meets this woman named Lydia. As they're going to a prayer meeting, they find this woman at the river and, um, and, and they begin to witness to her and she gives the Lord, the Bible says that she opened her heart, the Lord opened her heart to receive the message from Paul. You see, we don't go alone, but when we go out to witness, 
The Lord is opening hearts of people. You cannot do it. You can do what God calls you to do, which is share what you've seen, heard, and experienced, but the Lord has to open the hearts of the people. And so the Lord is opening hearts, and he saves her, and she's a very influential woman, and she convinces Paul, Silas, Timothy, and, and Luke to come to her house, and that's going to be their home base. And they begin to go out each and every day and to witness, and they come along, and they come across uh, in Acts chapter 16, we're going to begin, uh, we're going to read this passage. They come across a woman who has a spirit in which she predicted the future. They're on their way to a prayer meeting. They come across this, this woman who is a slave girl, and she is able to predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by her fortune telling. Verse 17 says this. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Can I tell you this morning that the devil, the enemy, your enemy, is persistent? He does not give up. After many days, he is trying to distract. He is trying to distort. He is trying to deter. And, and he's trying to get these witnesses, these missionaries, off message. And after many days, the Bible says that Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. Yeah. How many remember that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, in the authority that I'm sending you out in. This is what that is talking about. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of money was gone, <laughs> this is their motivation, right? They, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. That's a lie. That's a false witness right there. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack. This is an attack. But it's more than just an attack, a natural attack. It is a natural attack, but it's also a spiritual attack. And this is where this attack begins. Because I want you to see in this passage today four things about your witness for Jesus that you can be certain of. One of the things that you can be certain of that when you step out to be a witness for Jesus is that your witness will, number one, it will provoke an enemy. Your witness will provoke an enemy. Let's go back to verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped, to be humiliated, and to be beaten with rods, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Huh. You can be certain that you, as you are going out and being a witness for Jesus, you can be certain that you will provoke an enemy. And the enemy's attack will come in two ways in your life. Since I know this is not good news but I want you to know what to expect. When you step out in faith to be a witness for Jesus, you can expect uh, to, be, to provoke an enemy, and this is the two ways that his attacks come. His attacks come overtly and covertly. 
overtly is the thing that we can see and we read about in this story today. They falsely accuse these witnesses, the, the Apostle Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy. They arrested them. They, they took them. They grabbed them. They falsely accused them. They brought them before the magistrates. And then the magistrates wrongly imprisoned them. But before they did, they executed a, a sentence on them where they beat them. They flogged them, they whipped them, they stripped them naked. And what you don't know, but if you were to study this passage, what you would know is that, remember, Jesus was beaten 39 times. The, the Jews had a rule that they could only beat you 39 times. But the Romans didn't have any such rule. What they would do is, those, the jailer or the people who were beating them, they would whip them, they would beat them, and they were beating with, them with rods. And they would get welts, and they would get bruises and cuts and scratches, and they would get lacerations. They were beaten sometimes, beaten so badly in these, these beatings that they would even die. So the Apostle Paul and his companions going out to, to witness, they uh, suffer persecution, and they are beaten within an inch of their lives. They are attacked overtly. And then we see not only are they attacked overtly, but they are attacked covertly. A crowd rose up against them, right? They were falsely accused. They were treated as if they were criminals. They were thrown into the deepest, darkest dungeon of the prison. In that day, there was three levels of the prison. There was the upper prison, the middle prison, and the lower level of the prison. They threw them in the inner prison, is what the scripture says. Meaning this, they put them on death row with all the killers. And then on this death row, on this lower level of this prison, they were suffering. Not only were they beaten and wounded and bruised and they were lacerated, but they put them in the stocks, which means they would spread their legs and they would put the, the Roman stocks on their, on their legs so they could not get loose. And they, and, and they would uh, only be able to sit down, and they, the, the only thing that they could do is lean back and fall back on the ground in which they would be in excruciating pain because of the beating that they had experienced. This is the over-persecution that came to these apostles, uh, to these witnesses as they were sent out, these missionaries of Jesus. And this woman, I want to go back to her for a second because... We really need to talk about the importance of character in our witness. This woman attacked these apostles, and she, she was provoked by Satan to, to do this. She was just being a tool that was used by Satan, and she was telling them certain truths. She was saying, yes, these are men of God, and they're sharing with you the word of God. But in all reality... She was telling something that was truthful, but what the enemy was doing was trying to distort the message. We have to be careful that we don't align ourselves with a bad witness, a witness that is without evidence. This woman was not a follower of Jesus. She had not been born again. She was not following Jesus, and she was merely saying things that were true in order to cause confusion and questions in the mind of the people who would be seeking what was true. And that's why we, as witnesses for Jesus, we also have to distance ourselves from anything that would hinder our witness for Jesus. And that's why the scripture says, anyone who names the name of Jesus must depart from iniquity. 
That's why the scriptures say that we are to bear fruit worthy of repentance. That's why the Bible says that if we are uh, going to live for the Lord, we have to be holy as he is holy. Because we do not want to diminish the message. Because our message is our messenger, the people who are giving the message, their character is brought into question. And what we do is, though, we value competence over character, and when we do that, it's incompetent. And that's why I'm very careful, and you need to be very careful who you align yourself with, who you associate yourself with, who you come alongside of, and who, you partner, who you're in partnership with. And that's why a lot of times people will come to me, believe it or not, I know this would be a surprise to you, but they want me to advocate or endorse certain people or certain people who are in political positions, running for office or what have you. I don't want to give up my influence unnecessarily because my agenda is the kingdom. Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, my subjects would fight for me. Fight on my behalf. And so I don't want to give up my witness and my influence unnecessarily. So therefore, I'm very careful about who I will associate and who I will advocate and who I will stand with and who will stand with me. Because here's what the enemy is very subtle in doing. He is very subtle in, in distorting the message, diminishing the, diminishing the message of Jesus. And so that's why you have to stay on mission for Jesus. A witness for Jesus is certain of their mission for Jesus. Secondly, you can be certain that not only will you provoke an enemy as a witness for Jesus, but you will be provided an opportunity. Here's what I love. In verse 25, it reads this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. You see, midnight, they were in the midnight hour. Paul and Silas were in the most difficult moment of their life. They were beaten next to, almost dead. They were in the bottom of the prison. It was dirty. It was dark. It was disgusting. All the feces would run down into this dark place. And in the midnight hour, it's not just, the scripture is not just saying in the midnight hour, like this was the time of the day. It's not just the hands of a clock, but it's also the darkness of their situation, the darkness of what they're confronted with, the darkness of the uncertainty in which they're involved in. And they find themselves in a a midnight hour. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever gone through difficulty? Have you ever gone through the dark night of your soul? Have you ever been in a situation that seemed impossible to get out of? Have you ever been given a prognosis or a diagnosis that was not hopeful, that was a death sentence, that was a difficult situation, and you did not know how to get out, and you were locked up, and you were in prison, and you couldn't get free, and you were beaten down, and it was the darkness of the night, and it was discouraging, and you were in despair spare, but something came on the inside of Paul and Silas and Luke and, and, and these witnesses, and, 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 and something rose up on the inside of them, and the Bible says that they began praying and singing hymns to God, and that the other prisoners were listening to this. They were listening to them, and that word listening means intently listening to them. In the midst of their difficulty, their discomfort, their discouragement, and their injury, and their uncertainty, 
What did they begin to do? It's instructive to what you and I need to do when we're confronted with difficulty in our midnight hour and whatever we're going through, the difficulties that we find ourselves in the uncertainties. What we need to do is we need to fix our focus on Jesus. We need to fix our attention on God. Why? Because being limited to prayer is not a limitation, but it's a mighty weapon. It's a mighty weapon to be able to call upon the name of the Lord in your midnight hour, in your midnight season. It's not just prayer, but it's praise. Praise, uh, being confined to praise is not an impediment, but it's an invitation to freedom. See, there's a place that you can go to in God where it doesn't matter the darkness of your situation it doesn't matter the difficulty that you conf are confronted with and the problem that you're facing. It doesn't matter what you are going through because man cannot incarcerate, uh, incarcerate what God has emancipated. Listen, when, the, when, when we praise God, we go into another realm. We go into the realm of the Spirit. We go into the realm where we are no longer overwhelmed by our midnight hour and our difficulty and our situation. We go into the presence of God where we find freedom even in the midst of the things that bind us and hold us down. You've got depression today. Depression cannot defeat you when you begin to praise Him. You're, you're suffering discouragement today. Discouragement cannot overwhelm you when you've got a praise in your mouth. When you've got despair, despair cannot stand in the presence of praise as you praise God and as you pray and as you begin to call on the Lord. It's a mighty weapon in the hands of God which will transcend your situation and bring you into a place of freedom that these men have, find, have found today in our passage. And when you begin to pray and when you begin to praise, it's like that song the imperial sang. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord for God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you. Serve only to remind you. They drop powerless behind you when you praise him. Why? Because man cannot incarcerate with God emancipate. Somebody better give him a praise today if you know that if Jesus has set you free, he sets you free from all the chains that keep you bound. Prayer is powerful. There was a woman named Brenda Foltz. She was from Princeton, Minnesota, and she recounts her story about the time that she went rock climbing with her friends. Her friends had invited her to, to go, and although she was scared to death, she went with this group um, to scale a tremendous granite cliff. She's climbing her way up this granite cliff with her friends, terrified. She gets in the middle, midway, about a couple hundred feet below her and a couple hundred feet above her. And she's standing on the, the cleft of the rock edge, and she takes that opportunity to take a breather to, to, to regroup and uh, to, to regain her composure. And as she's doing that, a line, one of the safety lines, hits her in the face and knocks the contact out of her eye. At this time, she is scared to death. She's overwhelmed with her situation that she finds herself in. She's on this rock ledge, hundreds of feet still left to go. 
And she starts to look around at the ledge of the rock cliff to see if she can find it. She can't find it anywhere. She's looking everywhere for this contact lens. She can't find it. So her friends encourage her, keep on going, keep on going. She continues to go up the rock ledge to the very top. She gets to the top, but she still has to get down. She steps, she, she stands on that rock ledge. And in that moment, discouraged, crying, weeping, terrified, she remembers that scripture that says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth. And she begins to pray and says, God, you know this mountain. All of these mountain ranges you have created, you know the stones where they are and every leaf on that mountain. And she begins to pray and to, to trust God. And then she hears a voice coming from down below. It's one of the new groups that has decided they're going to climb up this rock face, this rock ledge. And they say, hey, did anybody up there lose a contact? <laughs> Amazing as that is, do you want to hear how, she, how they found the contact? They found the contact because when they began to climb on the rock ledge, when they started to make their ascent, they noticed an ant walking on that rock. That ant was carrying that contact lens <laughs> across that ledge. <laughs> and Brenda and carrying it. And Brenda's father, this woman, Brenda, her, her father was a cartoonist. And when she told him the incredible story of the ant and of the prayer and of the contact lens, he drew a picture of the ant lugging the contact lens with these words. Lord, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. I can't eat it, and it's awfully heavy. But if this is what you want me to do, I'll carry it for you. In the same manner, you and I, when we're confronted with our darkest moment, with our most difficult moment, and when we're going through trouble, we need to pray and say, God, I don't know why you have me carrying this heavy load. I see no good in it. But if you want me to carry it, I will. That's where the scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge the Lord and he will direct your path. You see, a witness for Jesus is certain in their devotion to Jesus. It provides us as a witness, it provides us the opportunity to pray provides us the opportunity to praise, provides us the opportunity in our midnight hour, in our discomfort, in our despair, in our discouragement, in our injury, in our uncertainty. It provides us the opportunity to trust God, to be a witness for him. You see, people are watching your witness. People want to see how you live your life not in just the good times, but when times are difficult. Because we all go through difficult times, and when we go through difficult times and we trust the Lord in those seasons, the Lord gives us a bright and shining witness for him. And that's why the, Jesus could say, let your light shine before men. Our light shines because we're in dark situations oftentimes. Let our light shine that, that our Father in heaven might be glorified. I'm going to go ahead and close. 
as a witness for Jesus Christ, you can be certain that your witness will provoke an enemy. You can be certain that your witness will provide an opportunity. Give you a little preview for next week. You can also be certain of this, that your witness will prove your testimony. It will prove your testimony. A witness for Jesus is certain in their testimony of God's power. The power of God is working on behalf and in and through your testimony for Jesus, through your witness for Jesus. Because when you pray, God's power is released. When you praise, God's presence.